That's one person. Calvin, hey, Calvin's doing great. Calvin's doing great. Uh, <laughs> hey, if y'all don't know who I am, my name's Addison. I am on staff here at Outpost. I get to help run our student ministry here and help our kids director, Kate, who's downstairs right now teaching our kids. I get to help her kind of organize and coordinate some of our kids ministry. And so it has been a blast. I uh, brought a picture of me and my family because I was told that's what I'm supposed to do. Uh, if you can't tell, I'm wearing the same thing that I am wearing in that picture. I didn't know until I gave that picture to Zach. Uh, that's my wife, Bailey, and my son, Carter, which you'll hear a little bit about here in a little bit. Uh, but I'm excited to be up here. I am thankful to be up here. I'm thankful for y'all. It was a blast to see that video. I haven't seen that yet. And then to watch y'all uh, greet one another. Like The thing I love most about Outpost and being part of this family is that it is that. It is a family. And so I hope you feel welcome. Uh, and let me pray. And we'll dive into what we're talking about. Lord, you are so good to us. Uh, and I pray that today we can focus on you. I pray that we leave uh, not being a smarter sinner. I pray that we leave more in love with you and more in love of what you've done for us. I pray that we can focus on you. I pray that you help me uh, talk about what you are talking about and, and let me teach your wisdom, not Addison's wisdom. Thank you uh, for this family. Thank you for this building that we get a glorify you in. Hopefully, we love you. We thank you. In your precious name, amen. All right, well, uh, like you saw earlier, I have a son. His name is Carter. Uh, he's got a big old head, and he, in about, <laughs> some of y'all laughed because you know it's true, uh, in like a week and a half, he turns one, which is crazy, crazy to think about. Uh, the reason I tell you is because uh, he's about to turn one, and he's in this kind of phase where he can't fully walk. He can take a few steps if you, like, really make him. But if he's going somewhere, he's kind of crawling. He doesn't have his balance down yet. And, and here's why I'm telling you this is because I'm about to tell you a story of something he loves to do. So recently, Carter has become obsessed with our kitchen cabinets. And, and so no matter where he is, he'll crawl into the kitchen, and it's always the same one. It's the first one on the right, and he wants to get in the kitchen cabinet. I'm pretty sure his goal in doing this is to open the cabinet and then take all the things that are inside of the cabinet and make them be outside of the cabinet, find the loudest things, and then bang them on the floor or together. I think that's what his goal is. Uh, but he oftentimes doesn't get to do that because what happens is he'll crawl to the kitchen, he finds the cabinet, right? And then he crawls up the cabinet and he's holding on to the top of it, okay? So imagine this, the door's swinging back and forth and he's kind of trying to get his balance. He's trying to figure out a way where he can get around the cabinet and inside, okay? But what happens most of the time is he kind of gets, gets to the top and then he's trying to get his balance and he ends up going forward. And when he goes forward, his hands go forward. And when his hands go forward, he smashes them in the cabinet. And so what happens when he smashes his hands in the cabinet is he gets a little bit like shocked or scared, and he looks around, and he finds one of his parents. And when he makes eye contact with us, he loses it. I mean, he loses it. And so we do, you know, what any good parent would do. 
and we pick him up. Oh, I'm so sorry, buddy. You know, take him to the other room, try to like distract him, give him a truck or whatever to play with. And then he kind of calms down and, and we put him on the ground. And guess what he does? He crawls right back, and it's the same one every time, I'm telling you. He crawls straight back to the same cabinet, and up the cabinet he goes, and then he gets a hold of the top, and then he's wobbling again, and then, boom, the fingers smash. And, and it is kind of funny, to be honest. Maybe that's bad. It's funny the first time, and maybe the second time. Uh, but this can happen for like 20 minutes. And so you get to the fourth, fifth time, and you start wondering to yourself, you know, what type of baby uh, have, we, have we given birth to? Uh, <laughs> uh, but here's why I tell you this story is because a lot of us are laughing about this uh, craziness. We're going to do, dude, you're getting hurt every time you do it. Why are you doing it again and again and again and again and again? But here's the thing: is that all of us in this room do the same thing and go back to the same thing. We're getting hurt over and over and over again when it comes to comfort. Over and over and over again, we're looking for comfort and getting comfort in this world. When, and, and I know enough of y'all to know that we're coming into this room and we're sick and tired of being sick and tired in this world. But yet, when we're sick and tired of being sick and tired, we're, we're looking for comfort. The world makes us feel like we need comfort and we're trying to get comfort out of this world. We're trying to get comfort out of worldly things. And over and over and over and over again, we're just going back to the same cabinet, smashing our hands. And we will never hear this. You will never get the comfort you think you will from the things of the world. You won't. But why do we do that over and over and over again? And we're going to talk about that today. And look, it's not just you, it's me too. I can give you example after example. This week, okay, Wednesday night, we have our, uh, what we call base camp. It's our students' monthly gathering where we're all here and uh, we listen to someone teach and we worship and, and it's a great time. And so I'm there and I teach and I'm cleaning up afterwards and I'm tired. I've been here all day. I go home. I get home at like 9.45. And, and what I should do is sleep. We talked about that last week, right? I should have rested. But instead, what do I do? I feel like I'm stressed out and I'm kind of tired. So I need some me time. My entitlement leads me to thinking I should have some me time. So I kick off my shoes, I grab a drink, and I scroll through Instagram for 30 minutes. And do you know how comforting that was? Yeah, it wasn't comforting. If anything, it's the opposite, right? I'm just comparing myself subtly to everybody for 30 minutes. And I look back, I go, why did I do that? I did it, one, out of entitlement, but I also did it because I thought that it was going to comfort me, and it doesn't. And, and so I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's binging TV shows. Maybe it's drinking. Maybe it's scrolling on your phone like me. Or maybe it's ordering takeout or getting that pizza or getting that thing that you think is going to comfort you in your time of need. And here's why I know that it's happening to us. Let me just be completely honest. It's because... I have eyes and ears, and I can see the culture around us. And the culture around us is trying to, through advertisement and marketing and all these things, is trying to get us to buy into this lie that if we can get X, Y, or Z, or if we do whatever it is, then we will be comforted. And I'm telling you, that is a lie. That is a lie. And I don't want you, uh, as I'm talking, I don't want you to take my own words for it. I want you to 
take God's word for it. So what we're going to do today is we're going to open our Bible and see what Jesus says about this idea and this false God of comfort. And let me say from the top too, this idea of comfort, and this is kind of a complex thing, we'll unpack it as we go. This idea of comfort isn't necessarily bad. It's not anti-biblical. Now, what we've done with this idea of comfort is we've skewed it and made it into something uh, that's perverted from the original idea. We've made it something uh, that is selfish in our own in our own interest-seeking. And so we are going to be in Matthew 10, which is funny because uh, we're doing this little mini-series, and then we're about to be in Matthew for like a long time. Uh, but guess what? We're going to be in Matthew today too. So Matthew 10, uh, you can uh, flip over to that chapter. We're going to be specifically in 16 through 33. But as you're going there, let me kind of give you some context of what is going on here. And so Jesus, at the beginning of Matthew 10, uh, sends out his disciples into this city and he, to basically be missionaries or a short-term mission trip, you can almost think of it. And, and on that way, Jesus here, we see, is kind of prepping them for what to expect. He's kind of laying down some expectations. And he's, uh, if you read like really some commentaries about what is being talked about it is what is being talked about is Jesus is talking to his disciples, which if you are a Christian, Cody, Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, guess what? You're a disciple. He's talking to you, and he's prepping them on how to be a follower of Jesus, how to be a disciple in a world full of pagan Gentiles. And I don't know if you've been awake for the past couple of years, but guess what? That is us today. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian following Jesus, a disciple of Jesus in a world full of pagan Gentiles. It's going the opposite way. And so this passage is for us. This passage is for us. So Matthew 10, 16 through 25. I'm going to kind of skip around in this section first. It says in 16, Behold, I am sending you, disciple, out as a sheep in the midst of wolves. Beware of men. This is 17. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. Later in 21, it says, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be, this is important, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Uh, and he goes on and on. That whole section is, is kind of what, he, what I just read. And I love it. What he's doing here, what Jesus is doing here, is he's laying expectations down for us. He's giving us expectations. He's giving his disciples expectations. Why is that important? Well, if you've been in any like premarital class or marital counseling, you know that expectations are a big deal. My wife and I, Bailey, went through uh, Merge, which is a premarital class. Highly recommend it. We loved it. But in this, we spent a whole week just talking about expectations because what we learned is if you don't communicate your expectations or you don't know your spouse's expectations, when expectations uh, aren't communicated or you don't know them, what happens is it leads to trouble every time. And Jesus knows this. He's giving us expectations. Well, why am I even talking about this? Because the reality is, and I don't blame y'all, but the reality is in this world, some of us in this room have been sold a bill of goods as far as it comes to expectations on what the Christian life is. 
Because we have people, we have this prosperity gospel idea in America where you have Joel Olstein up talking about how good it is uh, to be a Christian. And if you're going to be a Christian, then everything's up and to the right, and you're going to be happy, fat, and wealthy. Good for you. You're going to be healed, and that's just not true. We read what we just read. It's not true. That's not what the Christian walk is. So we have to have right expectations because when we have skewed expectations, it's going to trickle down. And when things hit the fan, we're going to start looking around and looking for the first thing that we think might comfort us. And that's always going to be the world because that's what's popular and that's what we're being told. And it's not true. And so we have to set our expectations. And this is what my first point is. Don't expect the world to be comfortable. Listen, guys, we're in a world that is filled with sin. It's a fallen world, so why do we think it ought to be comfortable? It shouldn't be. In fact, Jesus tells us almost the opposite. Verse 22, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Guys, the day is coming. I hate to break it to you, but the day is coming in America, wherever we are, that it is going to be not only unpopular, but you are going to be persecuted for your belief if you raise your hand and say you're a Christian. The day is coming. Are you ready for it? Verse 24 and 25 here says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Is it enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master? If they called the master of the house, they called Jesus Beelzebub, which is Satan, how much more will they malign those who are in his household? Hey, look what they did to Jesus, and you're a follower of Jesus. What gives you any idea that they're going to treat you any differently? They won't. They won't. And so let me ask you this, is what are we unwilling to give up for God? What are we unwilling to do for Christ? And really, uh, all these questions boil down, like my really, the core of my point here is this question, what is your life goal? Because I can tell you right now that the world is telling you that your life goal should be to work 30 years and retire early so that you can do nothing and enjoy your comfort. You know how comforting that's going to be? Try it and test it out. But I'm going to believe the Bible. The world is telling you that at the end of the day, 5 o'clock, you should kick your shoes off and you should do this self-care. And I have to be careful here uh, because... There is some good to, like we heard last week, resting and taking care of yourself and all this thing. But the whole self-care world at the root of it is trying to tell you that you matter more than anybody else. And your needs, which aren't really needs, matter. And so when it comes to 5 o'clock, you've got to give yourself some self-care. And you've got to give yourself some room to do whatever you want to do. And forget everybody else. Forget your wife. Forget your kids. They can do whatever. But you just need to care about yourself. And that is not True, and it's just going to lead to death. What is your life goal? Is it to be comfortable or is it to follow Christ? And you can just say, I'm going to keep my eyes on Christ and do whatever He wants. And guess what? That's where my comfort's going to come from. And we'll talk about that here in a second. What is your life goal? Is it to live a happy, wealthy life or is it to follow Jesus? It cannot be both. We learned that in Matthew 6. 
can only serve one master. It's either God, it can't be money. So what is our life goal? And here's another thing I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> have you ever, how many of y'all have stray cats just around your house? Raise your hand. Okay, so some of y'all. Uh, let me tell you uh, about some stray cats, okay? If you have a stray cat around your house and you're like, oh, it's just a cute cat, you know what we should do? We should leave some food out for it, okay? You leave some food out in your front porch for that stray cat. Hey, <laughs> after about a week, you tell me if that cat is really stray. That cat's now your cat. But if you want to get rid of this cat, what would you do? You starve it, right? Well, here's what I'm telling you. First Peter 5 tells us that, this, that the devil is like a roaring lion. The best way to get rid of it is to starve it. And let me just tell you, and this is true in my life. It's going to be true in your life. If you continue to feed this comfort idolatry, continue to feed this idol in your life, continue to feed this comfort, this self-care, whatever it is, guess what? It's just going to grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You have to starve that. Well, how do we starve that? Well, we look to Jesus. Because all of what I've said so far should beg this, this question, right? Okay, if we're not meant to be comfortable in the world, the world's not comfortable, which is my first point, then what should we really expect as Christians? Should we find comfort anywhere? Should we just be miserable all the time? Well, the answer is no. Uh, and so I'm about to, some of y'all grew up coming to church, Okay, and you were uh, like downstairs in the kids' ministry or wherever, and I'm about to give y'all a tee ball. I'm about to set a ball up on the, what do you call that? I don't know. Yeah, on the tee? Okay. And y'all, thank you. <laughs> I feel like I'm going crazy up here. And y'all are about to hit a home run, okay? Okay. So, we don't find our comfort in the world, right? Right? Right. Okay, so... We can find our comfort in something, or rather someone. So who do we find our comfort in? Oh, nailed it. We find our comfort in Jesus. But here's the thing. Uh, You want to talk about being sick and tired. I can get sick and tired of the church giving us a lot of great answers and not really giving us a how or a why. And so a lot of us know that we can find our comfort in Jesus, and that's a great Sunday school answer. But a lot of us are just smarter sinners because we know that. We don't really know what that looks like. And Jesus lays out exactly how that and what that looks like. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how do we actually find our comfort in Christ? Let's look at verse 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. That is amazing. Fear not. Therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. This passage, I'm like, my challenge, you can ask me next week, I'm going to try to memorize this passage because this is amazing. How do we find comfort in Christ? Well, what we're going to do is I'm going to break down what I just read verse by verse. And in each verse, I'm going to pull out a truth about God and who he is. And at the end of it, we're going to have a clear plan on how we can actually, practically, find comfort in Jesus. So, verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? There were many sparrows back then, and a penny being the cheapest coin, right? So, are not the two sparrows sold for the cheapest thing ever? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Guys, God is in control. 
God is in control. We don't just see this here. We see it throughout the whole Bible. Mark 4, right? Mark 4, when Jesus calms the storm by just talking to it. Uh, What about the Old Testament? You have Exodus, the parting of the Red Sea, the plagues. You have story after story where you see God is in control. All of the miracles that happen. God is in control. Verse 30. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows you. God knows you. In Psalm 139.13, we see that we are knit together in our mother's womb. John 10.14, it's uh, God talking. He says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own. And Hebrews 4.13 says that no creature, including you, is hidden from his sight. God knows you. Verse 31, fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. You are valued, and God loves you. John 3.16, so God so loved you that he sent his only son to die on the cross. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Romans 5.8, but God so loved the world or that's John 3.16, Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. He died for you. God loves you. So these three truths are how we find comfort in Christ. Like, really think about it, right? If God is in complete control, there's nothing that can happen outside of his grasp. Nothing, you can't even think about anything that could happen with, outside of the control of God. Additionally, he knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows all the sins you've committed. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the shame that you're having right now. He knows the burdens that you walked into this room with. He knows the things that you're not telling anybody else. And yet, he loves you. If those three things are true, what else do we need to be comforted? What are we looking at doing when we're scrolling on Instagram or binge-watching Netflix? What are we doing? God is in control, and he knows you, and he loves you. What else do we need? So this is my second point. We find comfort in God by remembering who he is. When we remember God's character, it's going to comfort us. We are comforted by God by remembering who he is. Do you know God? But as I was writing this, I got to the end of this point. And, and something was bothering me a little bit. And here's what was bothering me. is because I, uh, I think that if I had like a sheet of paper on each chair coming in, which I thought about doing, but I didn't have enough time. Uh, and, and it was a quiz, okay? So you got a Sunday school Bible quiz. Uh, and the questions were, do you believe God's in control? Do you believe God knows you? And do you believe God loves you? I think the majority of this room would say yes to each one. Okay? Is that true? I think that is True. I think the majority of us would say yes to each one. So the thing that was bothering me is if we know that's true, then why do we continually, like my son, one-year-old baby Carter, go back to the same thing to try and comfort us? 
It doesn't make any sense if we know that's true, but here's the thing. I don't know if we really believe that it's true. So how do we unlock all these things that we know? What does it say in verse 26 through 28? It says this, Have no fear of them. And he's talking when he says them about the world. Have no fear of the world, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. I love this. The last point, my third point, is fear God, not man. At the end of the day, guys, this is what we're doing. We're looking more towards worldly wisdom of man than we are the godly wisdom of God that we have here. We're looking, and I am the first to raise my hand. I'm looking more, when it push comes to shove, at worldly wisdom than I am God's wisdom. And Jesus tells us to fear God, not man. Here's the problem, is we have, and this is kind of a a complex sentence, so I'll try to break it down. We have a short-term view rooted, so our short-term view is rooted in doubt of eternity. So we doubt that God is who he says he is and that eternity is eternity. So we have a short-term view. And when we have a short-term view, we're going to look towards ourselves and what we think is right rather than what God tells us is right. We have a short-term view that's rooted in doubt. But, But what does this say? There's only one person and one God who can kill both your soul and your body. Why aren't we fearing the thing, the person, the God who is in complete control, who has complete power over everything? If we believed that's true, then we would. We would look to God. Look, it's a matter of priority. You want to know why we know these things. We can answer it on a test, but we don't live them out. It's because what is our priority? Our priority, at the end of the day, our actions, your actions, my actions, are telling me that my priority is man, not God. And so how do we fix that? How do we fix that? Well, a lot of things, and we'll get to that here in a second. But before I get to that, I want to give you some examples of things and people to actually look to who have done this well. And, and I have two that you might roll your eyes at because they're biblical people, and then one from today. So the first person who comes to mind when I think of uh, someone in hard times who has comfort in Christ that almost doesn't make sense from a worldly perspective is Paul. You look at Paul's life, And it is filled with what you would say is misery. I mean, this guy's getting thrown into jail time and time again, getting beaten time and time again for nothing that he's really doing. He's just being faithful to God, but yet it looks as though, like through the world's lens, it looks like he's just being punished. And then you read most of his letters, and you're you're reading Philippians. He's in jail, and he's thanking the God and telling the, these people how thankful he is for them and also expressing his joy. And you should be reading that. Well, maybe you shouldn't be. I read that, and I go, how the heck is this guy joyful? He's in jail. His life looks like it stinks. But yet you read these letters, and they're filled with joy. 
Let me tell you how. He has comfort in God. He doesn't care what happened in this world. He had the right expectations for what's going to happen. But his comfort is in God. What about the disciples? Every disciple was killed in egregious ways for their belief in Jesus. And why were they able to do that? Each one of them had the choice. All they had to do was say, Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and he isn't who he says he is. But every single one of them stuck to what they said. Why? Because they weren't worried about dying. They weren't worried about this world. They weren't worried about suffering. Their comfort came, came from Christ. They, had, they didn't have a short-term view rooted in doubt. They had an eternal view rooted in truth. That's how they did this. Do we have comfort from God? The last person I want to talk about is Dave Eubanks. Dave Eubanks, some of y'all may know uh, who this is. He is uh, kind of the leader of this group called the Free Burma Rangers. And uh, what this group is, is there's a civil war in Burma. And he has made this group and trains these guys who goes in the front lines. They go in the front lines of this civil war. And they give uh, aid to people who are wounded or injured or whatever it is. And this guy, I sat across the table from him uh, a few times now, and he's telling stories about how he's gotten shot, the guy who was right and his left die next to him, and he's carrying out their bodies. He's telling these stories of painful, uh, hard, hard things that are happening, but yet you are around him, and you're shocked by how joyful he is and how comforted he is and, and how many times he's saying, well, it's God's will, not mine. And I'm going, dude, you're crazy. You've got, he's gotten shot like three times. Why? Because he has his comfort in Christ. And when you have your comfort in God and who he is and you know who he is, it's almost like you unlocked and unleashed a new person. So let me ask you, what are you not willing to give up for God? Do you have comfort in Christ, or are you looking to yourself in the world for comfort? Uh, but really, all that I've said so far, okay, boils down to one thing. And I've danced around it a lot, but I've never actually said it. It boils down to one thing, is that a lot of us guys in this room, even like through last week and this week when I'm teaching, our thinking, our brains are wired to think that we have this behavior problem. Here's what I mean by that. We think, oh, if only I did, or if only I could, or if only I was, man, if I read my Bible more, then I wouldn't find comfort in like all these things. Or if I, if I stopped watching Netflix, or if I deleted Instagram, or if I uh, rested more, or next week we're going to talk about money, if I took care of my money a little bit better and stewarded it for God, man, then, then everything would be great. And that's not true. We don't have a behavior problem. Please listen to this. We don't have a behavior problem. Guys, what we have is a belief problem. We have a belief problem. I'm going to read Matthew 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. And whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Guys, do we believe that this is true? Do we believe 
Uh, Romans 8 tells us that Jesus is our intercession. Do we believe that that's true? Do we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Here's my thing. If we really believed this, right, if we believed that God is who he says he was and Jesus is who he says he was, then we wouldn't really have to be talking today about comfort because if we believed who he says he was, we wouldn't be trying to go get comfort on our own. If we believed who he said he was, we would be looking at him, We don't have a behavior problem. We have a belief problem. And so uh, here in a second, I'm going to end, but here's what my prayer is this series, okay? My prayer is not that we leave today or that we left last week or next week. My prayer is not that we leave being smarter sinners. Here's what I mean by that. We know more quiz answers, and we know uh, more about the Bible than this guy. Guess what? You're just a smarter sinner. That's not my prayer. My prayers are not that we leave and try to modify our behavior. No, I think it would be a miss if that's what we're hearing. My prayer is that this next year, today, tomorrow, this week, this next month, that we ask ourselves, how can we increase our belief in Jesus? How can we make more of him and less of us? And so let me challenge you, this next week, just do it for a week. And every time, every morning when you wake up, pray to God, Lord, please help me make more of you and less of me. When we increase our belief in Jesus, we're not going to be having to think about how we're trying to find comfort and all these other things because if we truly believed in who he was, we would be comforted by that. We would be comforted by his truth and his power and his control and his love for you. We don't have a behavior problem. We have a belief problem. And so uh, I always love to make it a little bit awkward when y'all go home. So when, uh, if you came in here with your wife or your family, when you get in the car, here's what I want you to ask yourself. Uh, answer this as a family. There's a few questions. The first What are you unwilling to give up for God? What are we unwilling to do for God? What is your life aim? Is your life more about your wealth? Is your life more about your retirement, your 401k? Is your life more about uh, the comfort of what you get to eat tonight? Or is it more about Jesus? What is our life's aim? And then the last question I want us to ask ourselves is what would it be like and what would it look like as a family if we focused on Jesus and tried to increase his view of him and decrease the view of ourselves? At the end of the day, the comfort problem we have is just pride. We think that we know better than God. And so when we are told that the world's not going to be comfortable, but our comfort should come from Jesus, but then yet we try to reach into the world, like my son going back to the cabinet over and over and over again, we try to reach into the world to pull out some amount of comfort, it's just us saying, no, 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 God, you you can hold on a second. I know know that you said we can have comfort in Jesus, but, but, you know, Pizza Hut sounds real good right now. And we're laughing, but we do that all the time. Uh, all right. 
I don't even know something happened and everybody's laughing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, cool. Well, let me pray. Uh, there's no good transition from that. Let me pray. Uh, worship team can come up here and, uh, and let's remember that God is who he says he was. Lord, thank you for, uh, I mean, just what a gift and an opportunity it is to be loved by you. I pray that today we leave here and we are focused more on you than we are ourselves. I pray that tonight and tomorrow we're not looking to our own comfort, but we're looking to the comfort of your son and who he is and the truth that you give us through his and your word. You are good and you are powerful. You are in control. You know us and you love us. How good it is to be loved by you. I pray that we are encouraged. We love you and we thank you. Help us find comfort in you. In your precious name, amen.